Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to AJC Radio tonight. Tonight we deal with a very troubling issue, and that is the wrongfully convicted. How is it that routinely people are being locked up that are innocent? How is it that the media shows a very limited view of of those stories dealing with the wrongfully convicted? How is it that this country has got it at a point of simply not caring. How did we get to that point when innocent men and women are in prisons across this country that never committed a crime? The answer to that question is they simply do not care. Tonight we tackle that subject, the wrongfully convicted in America, as we start this three-part series. Folks, hang on to your seats. We take off right now. There you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Sampson Riddle, William Williams, Quentin Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and the entire AJC radio team tonight. This is a subject, ladies and gentlemen, that is deeply troubling, that people spend time in prison that never committed a crime. And people have not only spent, we're not talking a couple of years, and that's equally as wrong. But we're talking about lifetimes, over 20 years, 30 years. Uh, In the case of the RP5, eight years removed from loved ones where no crime was ever committed. Uh, We have to address that issue. It's very important that we talk about it. And uh, Kendrick, how important is it, at least that we get into discussion along these lines regarding the wrongfully convicted. We've heard a lot of stories. We've heard a lot of things. And uh, how important is it as you've been a victim of a wrongful conviction? Here's why I believe it's extremely important, because this is starting to become a pattern and a trend where, you know, there's a real problem in this country. Uh, just recently, I mean, I was happened to be uh, watching the news, and it's a nationwide story of a, of a uh, uh, Mr. Strickland who was convicted of murder, given life in prison, spent 43 years behind bars, they found out that he's innocent. But the state of Missouri still won't let him go home. And the, and the big problem is, is the current prosecutors are even admitting that he is innocent and, need, and did not commit this crime, but you still have the, the actual convicting prosecutor defending it to Fendale that this guy should stay in prison knowing that he is innocent. How can this be a part of a system? How can we sell this that, oh, we have the best legal system in the world? No, we don't. If you have one innocent person in prison, it's too much. And speaking from personal experience, when you are behind bars, your voice is gone. No one hears you. And it's, it's, this, it's this slow, silent death that you have because here you know that you've done nothing. And I can't imagine a person spending 43 years in prison for murder, getting sent to maximum security, knowing that I did not do this crime, and no one hears you. Then to find out you're innocent, you think I get released, they crush you by saying, well, I'm not going to let you go. Well, but here's what doesn't make sense to me. If there's evidence to support innocence, 
you would think it would be a quick move to action to say we have to let these people out. They should not be in. You're talking about people who suffer so much behind bars, and the people that haven't been there, you you don't have a clue of the suffering, the anguish of being locked up in a prison for a crime you never committed. You never committed a crime. We're going to talk about not only the RP5, uh, uh, Brendan Ray Dassey uh, is a gentleman that caught, caught, reached, reached out to us quite some time ago. I think it's been over a year ago, uh, six months to a year, reached out to us in regards to Brendan Dassey. He was convicted at the age of 17, uh, and they did a documentary on Netflix series called Making a Murderer. Uh, and if you haven't seen that, you need to go watch it. This guy, a appellate court actually overturned the conviction and said that the police coerced this young boy into his confession. And a higher court came back and said, no, we're going to let that conviction stand. So if a judge said it's clear evidence that coercion happened here, this is a 17-year-old kid. He is still in prison today. We're going to tell his story tonight. Tracy, uh, I believe it's Kioff, is going to be joining us tonight in regards to that. She is the writer for World Vision Australia and creative activist and marketer for Brendan Dassey. Uh, we're going to get into that discussion tonight with her as we tell his story. Again, this is a three-week series because I tell you what, there's a lot of information here. Uh, we're going to take on the other side of the break. We're coming back. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free at any point tonight to dial into the show at 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628, as we tackle an increasing problem. And we're going to get also statistics of the increase, of, increase in wrongful convictions. How do they continue to rise? Because no one cares. Outside of advocates and loved ones, nobody within this system is wanting to fight for the innocent and just let them sit in there because you know what? The culture has created this monster. We're going to tackle that monster tonight. Feel free to dial in, folks. This is Agency Radio. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States. I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time 
and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. There are no loose ends in TV procedural dramas. At the end of the hour, the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. Unfortunately, the real world is a lot more complicated. We know from the work of the Innocence Project and other organizations in the Innocence Network that the system doesn't always get it right. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, since 1989, nearly 2,000 people have been exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. What people don't realize is a good number of those people pleaded guilty to crimes even though they were innocent. In fact, in nearly 10% of the nation's DNA exonerations, people pleaded guilty to serious crimes and agreed to serve significant prison time because the system is stacked against them, especially they are poor and people of color. That's right. The stakes are so high that we have innocent men and women agreeing to serve long prison sentences. A system that puts that much pressure on people to plead guilty is a problem. Visit guiltypleadproblem.org to learn more about the men and women who are pressured into pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit. And join us in demanding that our elected officials do something to protect the innocent people who get caught up in a broken criminal justice system. Thank you. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Let me tell you who to blame. Blame the boy lying at your feet, his body oozing life through the hole in his stomach where the bullet tore him apart. Blame him for challenging you, for not looking away and for not backing down when you pulled out the gun. Blame your mother for bringing you into this world when she was but a kid herself and for dragging you up, not bringing you up. Blame society for not giving you hope. Blame your father for not being there the man who looked after himself instead of looking after you. Blame the gun in your hand for making you a target, for making you more likely to be picked on. Blame the dead boy, blame your mother, blame society, blame your father, blame the gun, blame anyone but yourself for not being strong enough to put down the gun, to break the cycle. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. Uh, dealing with wrongful convictions and the culture in this country with wrongful convictions and the fact that the attitude of a nation 
is that we simply do not care about the wrongfully convicted. Uh, you can have folks that have been wrongfully convicted that when they get out of prison and they're proven that, you know what, an error was made, it's probably a 10-second clip about the wrongful convicted. You're not seeing in-depth reporting uh, regarding those wrongful convictions that this is a tragedy. You're not seeing outrage by a country and a nation whose criminal justice system have, has fallen off of the track. Where is the outrage in regards to that? Uh, William, give me your thoughts, please. You know, I think what people need to understand is that for the past, say, 10 years, we started seeing things like the Innocence Project. We started hearing words like exoneration. And those are things that, you know, for me personally, I, not, I have not heard, I had not heard until being involved with Just Cause and then just looking at the news. And you're constantly seeing these people that have served time. And, and like you said, at the opening of the show, you're talking about 20 years, 28 years, 30 years. Any of our listeners can go out right now and look at the Innocence Project, and you'll look at a list of men that are out there and women that have served a – I'm talking about a great portion of their lives, and you read their stories, and it's like it, – the evidence was there at the beginning in a lot of these cases. They served time, spent a significant amount of their life, only to come back and say, oh, well, he was innocent or she was innocent. And they can never get and that that's time. it. That's it. It's like – it's like, hey, you know, uh, sorry. I mean, what what do you say when you've taken 30 years, 20 years from somebody's life? But listen, here's the problem. And again, the number is one thing. The number of years that we see. Uh, and. But the person that goes to prison for six months. We, we, let's talk about LaWanna Banks Clark. Never been in trouble a day in her life. You take her from her family, put her out of the state of Colorado in an Arizona prison, women's prison, federal prison, and she was innocent. And when information was provided that would have showed her innocence, it was ignored. It was told it doesn't matter. That's the attitude. It doesn't matter. But this girl, young lady, I believe the stress that she was under ultimately contributed to the death of LaWanna Banks-Clark and what they did to her in this criminal justice system. And you have to be a cold person to not care, not to show any type of, you know what, this is not right. Let's right the wrong that was done. That's not the attitude with wrongful convictions. And they come up, but I'm telling you, you say, oh, I caught that on on YouTube, I saw something on YouTube, or I saw something on TikTok, or I saw something here. Guess what? That's about it. That's all you're going to get out of it. Why is that? Is the question that we're dealing with on this show. Why? Why is it those lives do not matter? You take an innocent person, put them in a jail cell in a in a violent environment. They did it with Khalif Browder. Not, he wasn't charged. He wasn't even charged. He wasn't even charged. He spent three years of his life. And Rikers ultimately causing him to take his own life out of fear. He would go back. Never committed a crime. So they basically convicted him. That you know what? We don't even have to have you up on charges to take send you to Rikers Island, which is one of the most violent, if not the violent, 
uh, jail systems in, in, in New York. It's horrible. In our, in our country. In our country. Uh, this is something that has to be discussed. David, your thoughts on this as we as we dig into this one? Well, it's you only can uh, it's a horrible indictment of the criminal justice system as a whole. According to the National Registry of Exoneration, two to ten percent of people in prison are wrongly convicted and sitting in prison. And keep in mind, uh, in 2019, when they put this out, uh, there were 2.3 million incarcerated people, which, which uh, if you uh, compute that out, 46,000 to 230,000 people, innocent people, are in prison. Say that number again for me. 46,000 to 230,000 are innocent? Are innocent that's in prison. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, you go to... Now, now, watch the news. That, that's why you know that nobody cares. I've watched, I don't care if it's Fox News, CNN. I've watched them report on a wrongful conviction. They will report, they ask no questions no. about how did this happen in the U.S. criminal justice system that a person lost, wrongly lost their liberty and freedom. But you can't beat them talking about the Constitution liberty and all this other type stuff but i'll go ahead and say it when, when as soon as a cop is injured on fox news or shot or something is done wrong to a cop they're gonna beat it to death about how bad that people are demeaning the police they're doing all this other type stuff and like you said i i i, I don't have a hatred of police by any stretch of the imagination but at the same time if if you're not willing this is equivalent. Look at the COVID deaths. Oh, 40, 46 people died. Suppose they 46,000 people died from COVID. They'd be all over the place. Well, get vaccinated, do all this other type stuff. Well, what about 46,000 or 230,000 people that have been lost their freedom and went to prison? That's a serious, that's a very serious matter. And it's a serious failing of the, the so-called justice system. And so you can't there's a very sadistic self-righteous corrupt underbelly uh that is at the foundation of the criminal justice system that that's a even the judges and prosecutors just like you mentioned uh, Ken mentioned the process the prosecutor conviction them don't want to let them out even though there's uh proof of innocence and in one other case uh, i read the prosecutor uh when the guy there's DNA evidence that he was innocent, he should stay. He, the prosecutor said he should stay in prison. I, well, he did something wrong. Listen, I don't think people understand. Picture your life, all these years going to work, taking care of your family, enjoying the holidays, the things, the liberty, and picture a situation. When somebody shows up at your house, snatches you out of your house, puts you in a van, takes you to an unknown location, do you know the horror of that? That is the equivalent of a wrongful conviction, a person that did nothing, committed no crime, and their whole life, let me go to the RP5.
You go to these men. You strip them of everything that they believed this system was. You take them from their family as their families cry and weep because of a loved one being snatched in a moment. And you know them to be innocent. You take kids from their parents. You take these men from their community, from their churches. And you snatch them in a moment. There should be outrage for that. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're black, if you're white, what nationality you come from. So if people sit comfortably back and say, we have the best system, we have the worst system. That's right. We have the worst system. And say what you want to say. And until injustice visits your front door and snatches your daughter, your son, your parents, your grandma, these people snatch the elderly that are innocent. That's why the seriousness of it is what it is. That's why we have to talk about it. And the news media, they're a joke. Where's the producer saying we must tell this story? And if you didn't have advocates out here fighting to get the story known, we don't even know half of the people that sit in a prison cell and cry themselves to sleep every night when they know they've done nothing wrong. And you tell me we have the best system? I got news for you. Wake up. Wake up. Dave. Hey, you look at everything that's done. I mean, for us, the IRP-5, it was nine years ago this week that we were sentenced and were remanded into prison for eight years. I still remember that day like it was yesterday, standing in front of that judge and that judge saying, 121 months, good luck to you. The, the, the heartlessness, and it was the same judge and prosecutor that put Lawana Clark Banks in prison. And when you have these prosecutors that are win at any cost, no matter what they see for the innocents, I'm still putting people in prison. Those are the ones that have to be removed from their from their position. Period. Yes. And when you have a prostitute, this is what is so alarming. DNA is at a whole other level today. To exonerate the innocent, say you, you you thought these people did it, and we didn't have the technology we have today, but you have a way. You have a way to say. When a defense attorney comes to the court and says, hey, we asked the court to allow DNA testing. It will prove the innocence of my client that went to prison 10 years ago. Do you know the prosecution objects? They object to the truth. They fight tooth and nail against it. Now, if they felt that they were so right, why would they fight it? Oh, this is going to prove that I was right and he should be in prison. But But no, they fight. And a judge that allows it. See, the corruption is from the top down. If a judge, if you go before a judge's court and says, we would like DNA testing because it will prove innocence. The prosecutor is to seek justice. In all situations, that's his job. Seek the truth. They don't seek the truth. No, they don't. They, 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 and we watched it with these guys. 
These guys, the, our system is so corrupt. It is so corrupt, and they steer the judge and the prosecutors. They steer these cases in the directions that you want. We literally asked. We did our exit interviews. Talked to the talked to one of the jurors. The guy said, "Listen, we were sitting there. We were asking where was the defense. Now this is in the IRP six case. We talk. I talked to the man on his front porch. He's there." And all he's doing is being given morsels of misinformation, and this court allows this crap to happen. It's not a, it is biased. It the, the the scales are not even anymore. You go in there with the assumption of guilt. They make you look that way, but and then you're the, fighting you for your life to try to be in it. Well, go ahead. Yeah, to, to William's point, we were there. We lived it. As yeah. Dave said nine years ago, we were in the courtroom. None of our evidence – when you talk, Lamont, you talk about the judges and the prosecutors. I think we had nine pieces of evidence compared to over 280. And so when the jury asked, is there anything else to consider, they were looking. They know we were innocent, but there was nothing. That crooked judge in Colorado, Christine, Christine Arguello, would not allow any of our evidence to be submitted, That's to right. be considered to the jury. So when you talk about uh, wrongfully convicted, that's exactly what happened to us. But everyone was in on it. The appellate court was in on it. They wanted to put us away, like Mott said, away from our families because there was a sore e – these people are evil. They're well, it's, it states here – John Grisham wrote this. and you know, If you know anything about John, he's an author. Uh, he says wrongful convictions happen every week in every state yes. in this country, and they happen for all the same reasons. Sloppy police work, eyewitness identification is the most, is the worst type almost, because it's wrong about half the time, 50% of the time. Eyewitness identification in crimes are wrong, are wrong. And then here's the, here's the greater evil. The wrongfully convicted who died on death row, whose lives, and I just read a story the other day, uh, they had it on, on TikTok, and the gentleman, they said, after this man was sentenced to death a few years ago, this week, evidence came out that DNA was, on enough, was with another person, but this man was already dead. They killed this man. He was not even the man that committed the crime. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so I was actually reading an article similar to that where they said, like, in at least the last decade and a half, had they allowed any case uh, review, response, or anything like that, they would have resulted in at least somewhere between 52 and 65 percent exonerations based on just on DNA evidence alone. Now, we're looking at it since 1989, okay? Since 1989, okay? We're talking like more than 30 years, you know, about 30 years or so ago. We've only had less than 3,000 exonerations, okay? 3,000 exonerations out of a 2.2 million personnel populace. We're talking about 0.1% of our populace has been set free for something they were wrongfully convicted. And as, and as Dave alluded to earlier, we're talking about somewhere close to 46,000 or more. It's 46,000 to 230,000. 30,000. That, that's a drop in the bucket of what the justice system should be doing for these people to actually go in there. They're getting all types of money anyway. Spend some of that money to research these people that are behind bars for nonviolent crimes 
or even have something out there that they would say, hey, I didn't do it. And if there's any type of plausible deniability to that case, research it. We have the technology, like you said earlier, we have the technology to actually look into this and prove it yes or no. If these attorneys are worried more about doing justice than getting a body count, then they won't object. If their case is solid, they won't object. Otherwise, they're just being cowards and hiding behind a crooked system. No, no, without question, that's exactly what it is. And I think it's a troubling. Dave, did you have something else? Well, you were talking about eyewitness testimony. And in that case, they've shown so many times how that is wrong. One of the, uh, one of the big things that I've seen this, um, this video is they have a group of people that are watching a video of men passing a basketball. And they say, now watch the men passing the basketball. When the video is over, they say, did you see anything strange? And half of them, over half of them say no. And during that video, a person in a gorilla suit walks through the video. Now, when you see something like that, pay attention to this. And they can't identify that a gorilla walked through. How are they going to identify a person? And then you have the instance where, and this is, this gentleman went to prison for years on rape and murder, where a little girl said he looked like daddy. And they put daddy in prison. Well, the man was actually, that was the, um, the perpetrator lived next door and he looked like daddy. So you, you don't even care. They didn't test the DNA. When they finally tested the DNA, it matched the person next door. And they still took a year to release the gentleman that was in prison. And they knew here's the DNA. Here's everything. We're, we're going to wait still another year just to make sure. And then they didn't arrest the person that actually committed the murder and the rape. Well, and we'd like to, uh, a Ninth Circuit appellate court judge by the name of, a Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals by the name of Alex Kaczynski, he's since retired, uh, wrote an article in the Georgetown Law Review, I think it was in 2015, discussing how the U.S. criminal justice system is based solely on assumption. He also put uh, the myth of the criminal justice system down. Now, this is a, a highly respected federal appellate court judge, and he says the myths are that eyewitnesses are highly reliable, which, which uh, we've just mentioned here. Fingerprint evidence is foolproof. That's a myth. Other types of forensic evidence are scientifically proven and therefore infallible is a myth. DNA evidence is infallible. That's a myth. Human memories are reliable. That's a myth. Confessions are infallible because innocent people never confess. He says that's a myth. Juries follow instructions. You had that's based on assumptions. They they don't check with jury juries to see what they actually believe. Did they were there any bias on the jury? All this other so all that juries actually occur in a black box. So nobody knows what these people are thinking. They're assumed to to tell the truth when they say. Uh, I can be fair and impartial about their background and all that. All that's based on assumptions, which is a key point that, that Judge Kaczynski made. That prosecutions, uh, prosecutors play fair. We know that's a we know that's an untruth. Uh, we witnessed it firsthand. The prosecution is at a substantial disadvantage because it must prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. That's not uh, that that's a myth. Police are objective in their investigations. He says it's another myth. Guilty pleas are conclusive our conclusive proof of guilt, another myth, uh, and that long sentences deter crime 
is another myth that he discussed in Criminal Law 2.0. So while while you think uh, the wrongly convicted are sitting around just uh, woe is me, we got sour grapes because we got uh, we got caught and and they didn't really want to go to prison. They wanted to get away with something. Simply not true. The justice system has many many issues with it. The U.S. justice system and it's it's highly unreliable. Uh, but nobody wants to do any. Nobody wants to admit that. Nor do they want to do anything about wrongful convictions when they actually happen. Because honestly, their ego is at play. I don't want to be look like I did this wrong and I was responsible for sending somebody innocent to prison. If I believe they went to prison, if I believe they did it, they did it, irrespective of the evidence. That's pro- many prosecutors and judges' mentality. Doesn't matter what the evidence shows. I believe they did it. We can't really prove it, so we're going to railroad them somehow, get them in prison. We witnessed this firsthand, and until you go through this criminal justice system as a defendant, you don't have a clue of what you're talking about. No, absolutely right. We're going to dig more into this, folks, uh, here over the next few weeks. And uh, listen, this stuff is heart-wrenching. Every time I think of... My brother's here, the RP5. I don't have words. I'm outraged. Because you take the innocent. There's a quote out there that says, better that a thousand guilty men go free than one innocent man go to prison. Do you understand the magnitude of that? Set a thousand guilty free Versus sending one man whose liberty is taken from him, one woman whose liberty is taken from them, a justice system that is complicit in the death of our sister, LaWanna Banks-Clark, should have never been sent to any type of institution because she never committed a crime. What is the value of human life? We've lost it. This country has lost it. This system has lost it because of egos, as David alluded to, and the arrogance. Rather than look bad, you let an innocent man rot in prison? Because I don't want to look bad? Just let him stay there. And you let him get executed. People die! People actually die. It's a, I'm looking at an article It says the death penalty carries the inherent risk of executing an innocent person. Since 1973, at least 185 people who have been wrongfully convicted and sentenced to death in the U.S. have been exonerated, that have died. It's uncomprehendable. We're going to bring our guest on now, folks, to get into this conversation. And the Brendan uh, Dassey story, uh, right now joining us is Tracy Keogh, writer for World Vision Australia, and a creative activist and marketer for Brandon Dassey. Uh, Tracy, are you with us? I am indeed. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Am I pronouncing uh, Mr. Dassey's name correct? You are indeed. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that, and I'm glad I I, I pronounced your name correct as well. You did. (laughs) Okay. Tracy, I don't know how long you've been listening to the show. This is a 
I'll tell you what, this is a heart wrencher here, and I am excited uh, to talk about uh, Brendan. Uh, I know we had, we had uh, talked to uh, some of some of the folks connected uh, to Mr. Dassey uh, about six months ago or so, uh, and we just hadn't done the show on the wrongfully convicted, but we were able to know that this would be the show that we would highlight his story. And I'm going to give you the floor um, to talk about Mr. Dassey. Uh, I am heartbroken over what this young man has gone through uh, and reading his story. And then the, the series that, that, that the documentary series on Netflix that everybody's been talking about, the making of a murderer back in 2015, uh, some serious stuff. One of our co-hosts actually saw that, uh, actually had an opportunity to see that in full. And uh, I'm going to have, we're going to get in conversation with him as well. He said it was very, very hard to watch. So let's get into that tonight. Yeah. Uh, this series is going to be going for three weeks. You're welcome anytime during those three weeks, Miss, uh, uh, I mean, Miss Tracy, to come on back on this show and talk about this stuff because it's too broad to do in one show. We can't get everything in. So why don't you introduce okay. yourself to our guest and let's talk about the wrongful conviction uh, of Mr. Dassey, okay? Yeah, I would love to. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to spread awareness for Brandon. Um, as you said, I'm a writer. I consider myself a creative activist. I live in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, I've always held a healthy disregard for injustice. And when I virtually walked into the interrogation room of Brendan Dassey in January 2016, it literally set me upon a life-changing journey. And I'm not alone. There's millions of others felt the gut punch of uh, watching this child's vulnerability and the anger and disgust of what unfolded and to do nothing um, was yes. a crime. To walk past it felt like a crime. So I jumped online, like millions of others, sought out his legal team, and five and a half years later, I'm all in and always have been. You know, um, at the time of his arrest, Brendan was a 16-year-old kid. He was in the 10th grade at Mishcott High. He'd never had any interaction with law enforcement. He was quiet, socially reserved. You know, um, all of these things we know about Brendan. He loved his right. PlayStation and Animal. Uh, but what a lot of people don't know, they know that he had some type of disability, but that's been unpacked further recently. And, you know, at that time, Brendan was functioning between the age range of 5 to 11 years. Uh, you know, it's um, he'd been taking a mixture of special ed and normal classes, but he didn't take normal classes because he was capable of them, but because the law required it. And since a young child, he's been repeatedly diagnosed with learning disabilities, which, you know, there's a slew of IEPs that testifies to that. And each of them document his struggle with language and comprehension. Uh, you know, he had an aversion to socialisation. And in particular, and it's worth noting, his inability to understand idioms. Mm -hmm. Idioms like the truth will set you free, as we tragically saw. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's um, it, it's been a journey for people like myself. And as I said, I'm not alone. There's a burgeoning community of people um, that, you know, support Brendan and... Um, through that support, they've gone on to become aware of other wrongful conviction cases. 
uh, and you know it, it's gone on from there. It really is a, a global effort, I think, at this stage. And there's um, a, a perspective on the U.S. criminal justice system that people like myself living in Australia uh, knows more about than my own criminal justice system here in, in Australia. Yes, and and uh, Tracy, what I read here is that a judge ruled uh, that a federal magistrate judge ruled that Dassey's confession had been coerced, overturned his conviction, yes. and ordered him released. Was he ever released for any period of time? No, sadly not. So we we know history tells us that the U.S. magistrate judge William Duffin overturned Brennan's conviction in August of 2016. He found that the investigators violated uh, Brennan's constitutional protection against self-incrimination and his right to equal protection under the law. You know, he cited repeated false promises. Um, the factors involving, you know, Brendan's age, his intellectual deficits, and the absence of a supportive adult, you know, rendering Brendan's confession involuntary under the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments. Now, this was an incredible time for people who believed and uh, support Brendan. There was incredible hope, and I think it was probably the first hope that, you know, this young man had had, because if you think about pre-making a murderer, Brendan Dassey was considered and labelled a hapless murderer. Uh, people had forgotten about him outside of those labels. Um, so I know he came very, very close to being released. His team fought very hard. The Wisconsin Attorney General at that time, Brad Schimmel, was filing appeal after appeal. Um, you know, even Judge Duffin himself you know, wanted and granted supervised release in prison for Thor Brandon. Um, and there were only hours to go to his release. So I remember this vividly because, um, you know, I was fortunate to have an insight to what was going right. on. But, you know, literally hours away from stepping outside the prison, Brendan was sitting in his cell. He was ready to leave. He'd given away everything that he had and had changed into brand-new clothes. Right, so he was he was hopeful. Outside, he could hear the noise of the news vans and the journalists setting up to cover his release. And with only hours to go, the Seventh Circuit Court ruled that Brendan remained incarcerated pending the state's appeal. So he 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 got extremely close, um, but the Attorney General of Wisconsin at that time, Brad Schimmel, um, just kept putting barrier after barrier in front of him. You know. So, oh boy. So this kid is ready to leave prison. He's packed up. He's given it, which is mm. customary that if you're leaving prison, you kind of get rid of yeah. everything. Hey, man, I'm leaving here. The cruelty yeah. of the system uh, mm -hmm. is over the top for me. And probably everybody, including yourself, is just, it's the most outrageous cruel system and if a yeah. judge saw enough to say you violated Brendan's constitutional rights under the law and ordered mm. his immediate release he should have been yeah. released that yeah. tells you how cruel they, the system is 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, Brace, uh, Brendan's case in point, if you, if you read through how the, you know, it's a systemic failure across the board from the moment that that child was brought into for questioning and how that was handled through to, you know, um, Governor Eva's denial of clemency in the December of 2019. Brendan was failed at every every level and from every person charged with protecting him through that. But when you read through the, the appeals process, it's like, a, you know, it's like a timeline of torture because it's like we're giving you hope, right? So for the first time in years, Brendan has hope, his family has hope, his, his lawyers have hope. Um, and then you've got a state uh, attorney general who's going, you know what, the, the preservation of a conviction is worth more than looking at, you know, the pursuit of the truth in this case. And for somebody like Brendan you know, where there was zero DNA linking him to any crime, even the head of the state crime lab during the Stephen Avery trial is testifying that there's zero evidence, zero DNA evidence linking uh, Brendan to anything too. And I, and I believe there were over 500 items tested, right? Um, but just looking at the torture that they put him through, it was like giving him hope, taking it away, giving him hope, taking it away, giving him hope and taking it away. Um, and you're right, the system the system is set up to keep people incarcerated. You know, once the system has gotten hold of somebody, you know, you, you, it's a profitable system for those who, who benefit from people being incarcerated. And they took a child and they thought nothing of it. So, Tracy, at 16, so no parents, no adult, no guardianship, guardian person is even there with this 16-year-old who, from what we read, had an IQ, a very low IQ, which mm -hmm. basically put him in a category of uh, mental health uh, challenges. Uh, yes, correct. And so how do you do that? To a kid who's mentally disabled, and you yeah. watch it. I, I th those are the things that are just you're trying to wrap your hands around this. Uh, mm. And I'm gonna let Dennis. Dennis actually saw the the documentary in its entirety. Is right, Dennis? Uh, yes, I did, and and I wanted to bring up the uh, the interrogation. I mean, that was. I, I, there is no way anyone in their right mind could have watched the interrogations of Brandon and not see that something was majorly wrong. There was coercion. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, this kid, you could tell that he, 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 he was not, you could tell that he was at a, you know, at a level of w w in which his age, he, he wasn't even there, but yet, Oh my God! They took advantage of him. They put words in his mouth. They spinned it. They did everything, and you still tell me that after seeing that, despite the outcry, because it was enough to you know to get it, to, to get up an appeal, but he's still in prison. That yeah. is just unbelievable. There is no one that I know could have watched that and said, "Hey." That that kid was done wrong. Well, I got a I got a quick quick comment. Um, 
Now, I looked at now uh, uh, an appellate court panel of the Seventh Circuit, is my understanding, overturned his conviction, and then an unbanked uh, court uh, put him back in prison or, or upheld his conviction 4-3. And from what I can see, there was a number, number of very passionate dissents uh, speaking to yeah. that particular issue of his inability, his mental disability, and the coercion and the just abusive interrogation that, that he underwent. It just goes to show you if that prosecutors, I've always thought the system is crony, but almost like the prosecutor went shopping to some of his friends in the Seventh Circuit and got a 4-3 opinion. And how can there be uh, uh, an opinion this divided uh, on this yeah. set of facts is just mind-boggling. Yeah, absolutely. I think if we're we're looking at the interrogation for people listening who perhaps you know have been living it on, under a rock, right? So most, I, I dare say that most of the Western world and and others have um, have some knowledge of what Brendan was subjected to. But you know, he interviewed as a kid at sixteen uh, six times from November of 2005 to March 2006. Four interrogations in 48 hours, and three of those were in a 24-hour time frame. So if we remember Brendan's functional age, which is 5 to 11, and the fact that he couldn't comprehend sentences longer than five words, he could not understand what they were saying to him. So in the March 1st interrogation alone, he's asked over 1,200 questions by the investigators. This is a question every nine to 10 seconds. So not only did Brendan not understand his Miranda warnings, which differed each time they were read to him, he clearly had no understanding of what was playing out before him. And we see that, right? And they were leading him right. to inculpate himself in a horrific crime. And it's so clear that he's guessing which is evidenced by the who shot her in the head sequence. And I think just coming back to something that you said, you know, the world having that perspective into his interrogation and the reaction it elicited in millions of people has literally started a movement, right? And you don't need to be a lawyer or a police officer in that moment to understand that was what was happening was incredibly wrong. You just had to be human, right? Because you, you watching it, you knew there's a lack of humanity that these officers had. Um, he was a vulnerable kid, and they were experienced investigators using the read technique, which is developed to seasoned adult criminal. They used it badly, and they weaponized it against him. You know, so when we talk about the on bunk decision, and you're absolutely right with the with the um, with the defence, they were searing defence searing dissent, um, which really spoke to the judicial ignorance of the 4-3 majority. You know, um, yeah, I, I think all of those things are really important for, you know, people who perhaps haven't done a deep dive into the case to know that this this child, and he was a child, he was 16, but his mental capacity was between 5 and 11. This is proven. We know that. Um, you know, and the officer's just took advantage of him. Um, you know, there was false evidence ploys. There was, you know, the fatherly figure type of stuff. All of what Reed teaches. Right. And it, 
I think the tragedy of this is that if he's if his mental capability is five years to eleven, you got questions coming at this kid every nine seconds. Yeah. You overwhelm this kid. He doesn't even comprehend what you're even talking mm-hmm. about. And to lock this yeah. young man, this this kid, mm-hmm. the judge should be removed from the bench. The police officers yeah. that interrogated this kid should be charged criminally. Should mm-hmm. be charged. And Lamont, if, Lamont yeah. if you can imagine a reenactment I would like to see a reenactment of this interrogation with an actual five-year-old, and you would see how people would respond to it. I think that would be uh, something like that would would just just outrage people even more. Uh, The mental capacity of a five- to 11-year-old, put one of those kids in a reenactment and allow the public to see exactly what was going on, the outrage over a child a literal child of five to 11 being just, uh, just completely abused by police officers. Well, we talk all the time regarding the mental, the mentally ill, the mental uh, challenge inmates that are locked up in that need care. This kid needed care. Should have never been talked to without a parent, without a guardian. And you, this is that is criminal. What they've done to yeah. this kid, uh, Tracy. We're going That's to do. Right. So, I mean, there was no parents. Yes. There was no lawyer. There was no interested third party. Um, and you know, the February twenty seventh uh, interrogations uh, that was very purposeful. You hear in the transcript that at the end of the interrogation, they then tell him that they're going to call his mother. So it it was very purposeful. And what I think is frightening and should be frightening for every parent is that Brendan's school did nothing to protect him in those moments. That, you know, they they didn't contact his parents. Uh, It's actually legal for law enforcement to take a child as young as 10 out of the classroom and uh, interrogate them without a parent present. That's frightening. It really is. I mean, it's it's really bad. I would recommend to all of our listeners tonight to go out and watch Making the Series. It's on Netflix. You can pull it up. Making a Murderer, uh, which talks about the Brendan Dassey uh, story. And it says here, uh, as far as supporters, uh, Kim Kardashian West previously expressed her support for Brendan Dassey as well in 2019. She tweeted, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers and urge him to read Brendan Dessie's letter requesting a pardon. That means this hit all levels of society that were outraged about about this this uh, this kid. Tracy, we're going to take a quick break. I want to come back and talk about uh, Avery, the uncle. Uh, what's his situation? Uh, we're going to dig more into this, ladies and gentlemen. Feel free to dial into the show six four six two hundred zero six two eight six four six two hundred. 0628. Tell you what, we got a long way to go on this one. Tracy, we'll be right back. Mass incarceration means that we've got 
a very high rate of incarceration historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. And that's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioural problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent 
offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fear justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can can be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoon teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. Hey, guys. I'm Jordan Sparks. I'm Chase Crawford. Hey, what's up? It's Usher. Hi, I'm Rachel Dilson. I'm Hayden Christensen. I'm Peyton Manning. Hey, we're Fall Out Boys. I'm Dan Archuleta. I'm Corbin Blue. I'm Kristen Bell. And we're the Jonas Brothers. Do something good for your community. Reuse bags and bottles and always recycle. Help us collect a million pounds of food. Help people prepare for a natural disaster. Do something about homelessness. Anyone could be a rock star in their community. So then do something. Do something. Do something. Do something. Visit dosomething.org to find out how. You're on your way to meet up with friends, but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. Five seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. As we have, I'll tell you what, gone down a road that is one of the most uncomfortable roads we've had to travel here, uh, but we're going to travel it. 
because the issue at hand is the no-care attitude of wrongful convictions. We're dealing with the Brendan Dassey story. We've been joined by Tracy Keogh. She's writer for World Vision Australia and creative activist and uh, marketer for Brendan Dassey. Let me tell you something, folks. And uh, Tracy, are you, are you with us? I am, yes. Uh, this this story uh, of Brendan Dassey is probably one of the most horrific tales of abuse uh, to the mentally challenged and takes you down a road that to what lengths will people go to to secure conviction? I mean, this is a child who has been in prison the last 13 years. And when a judge had the integrity to call it what it was and say that the police coerced this young man, they violated his constitutional right under the law. You have a, uh, a seven-panel judge uh, panel that comes back and says, well, no, we're going uh, to uphold the conviction. Just ignore what the judge said, the magistrate judge said, that this was – this was coerced, it was unconstitutional, and don't even bring to the table the mental health issues suffered by Mr. Dassey. 16 years old, and, and Tracy, from what you tell us, uh, he had the mindset anywhere from a 5 to an 11-year-old mentally. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. This is criminal. No matter how you, t- no matter how we call it, it's a criminal situation. Um, tell us a little bit uh, about Stephen Avery Tracy and and how they tried in this particular situation to piece together uh, this bogus theory of a crime. Uh, and when I and when I read some of the details, the mutilation of a of a body, uh, uh, Brendan would have had no mental capability. To carry that out. No. No, and and again, it's worth noting that um, Brendan Dassey didn't hunt, right? And we know hunting in rural Wisconsin is part of the culture. People grow up learning how to hunt. But Brendan didn't hunt. Brendan suffered from cynicos. So he would actually faint at the sight of blood. And, you know, that's hardly the makings of a murderer. Right? But right. all of these things, all of these things about Brendan meant nothing to the state and meant nothing to, you know, the prosecution. I mean, couldn't it simply, right, the state argued to Avery's jury that contrary to Brendan's March 1st story, that Miss Holbuck was killed in the garage. And the state argued that only one man was responsible for her death, and that man was Stephen Avery. Yet to Brendan's jury... The state comes back and argues that Ms. Halbach was stabbed and killed in Stephen Avery's bedroom, according to Brendan's March 1st statement, and that both Avery and Brendan were responsible for her death. It, it's insane. It's insanity. I'm, I'm very far removed from a lawyer, but even I get that that makes absolutely no judicial sense, um, you know, Brendan was sentenced to life in prison with the earliest possibility of parole in 2048. So we know that that's a de facto life without parole sentence. You know, the jury took four and a half hours to convict this child. He 
didn't stand a chance. He didn't stand a chance. Um, and the, I think, you know, there's many failings from the state and from the prosecution. I mean, we can touch on them if you like. We can talk about, you know, the, the impact of prosecutorial misconduct. But I think one of the major contributors here was the Ken Kratz press conference, which I'm sure you saw when you watched Making a Murderer. Um, you know, the, the theft of Brendan and Stephen Avery's presumption of innocence is a major contributor to their wrongful convictions. You know, the, the DA gave a presser on March the 2nd, so they've, they've uh, you know, they've got their, their false statement on the 1st. They worked really hard to get that statement. It took them four, five goes to embed that narrative in Brendan. Um, you know, they, he gives the presser, he issues a warning. You know, he, he, it's a dramatic event, telling people not to let their children under, you know, the age of 15 listen in. And then he narrates Brendan's false and coerced confession to millions. To mention that Brendan had confessed was prejudicial enough, but then goes on to vouch for the truth of the confession. You know, he's saying we know what happened to Teresa Holbuck. Brendan and Stephen Avery were never going to get a fair trial after that. Never. It would have been impossible. And, you know, there were ethical ethical rules governing pre-trial publicity in Wisconsin. There's the Wisconsin Rule of Professional Conduct. But Kratz didn't care, and no one held him accountable to that, you know. Um, yes. No one ever filed complaints. No, no one basically cared, and you know, with with Stephen, um, Brendan was targeted, and Ken Kratz is actually there's an article where Ken Kratz openly says that Brendan Dassey was targeted, and we know that he was targeted for for numerous reasons and through different avenues, um, but you know, obviously being Stephen Avery's alibi, he was with Stephen. Uh, supposedly that night, um, helping Stephen clean up the yard. And they did all the time. They lived on a salvage yard. This is what they did. It's how they lived. Mm -hmm. And and for Mr. Avery, have you been in touch with his, his people? No. No, my, my, um, my focus is very much on Brendan Daly. Uh, Stephen has some incredible advocates that you know, put their time and effort into um, his case. Um, you know, his his lawyer Kathleen Zellner is a force of nature. Um, and you know, recently we know that the state appeals court ruled against Stephen in you know his latest efforts. And that was um, yesterday, right? Yeah, it was released Wednesday morning, and okay. you know they found. Claims made by, by Avery were insufficient on the face to entitle him to a hearing, and the circuit court did not erroneously exercise its discretion and deny the motion to vacate for consideration. Now, I'm, I'm aware of the most incredible researchers in this case that dig into the minutiae of this case that aren't on the payroll of anybody, um, and there are so many factual errors in their decision-making in, the, in this um, opinion. But what I thought was interesting about it myself was that Kathleen Zellner um, came out and she tweeted, you know, that it, it, it points out specific doors that are still open for Stephen uh, to pursue freedom through. 
and mm-hmm. you know she thanked them for their careful review. Um, so it, I think that you know there's no doubt that she will continue to pursue release for Stephen Avery. Um, and I think she, if there is anybody that can, can achieve that outcome, it would be Kathleen Balner. Um, yeah, but I mean, I mean, it's horrific. Stephen's uh, been subjected to two wrongful convictions. He's lost most life to incarceration. Let me ask you a question, Tracy. Uh, have you talked to Brendan as of late? I don't talk to Brendan, but I certainly keep in contact with him through email, yes. Okay, how's he doing? You know, Brendan's a really hopeful, sweet and gentle uh, guy. Um, you know, he's he received letters from people all over the world and that is you know, that that lifts his spirits, um, and I think it's so important because you know, for those moments that he he gets to immerse himself in the world of, of the people that are supporting him, it takes him away from the confines of, you know, the eight by four that, that he's forced to live in. Um, but he is so hopeful and he's incredibly thoughtful of other people. And, you know, he he's somebody that should never walk past a correctional facility, let alone spend the last 15 years of his life, you know, confined to one. He's he's a good man. He's grown into a good man in the most horrific um, of circumstances, which is a testament to to who he is. Well, I do want you to add to the list uh, for Brendan that a Just Cause organization, AJC Radio, is in support uh, of his freedom. That we we are vehemently angry, outraged for what they've done to him, and that he has a friend and a support system here at Just Cause Organization, Uh, and we will continue to stay in touch with you. Um, I'm 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 truly saddened uh, for that young man Uh, because we live and that's exactly right. Sad. It's just you, 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 you cannot, as Dennis alluded to, seeing the the making of a murderer and the interrogation part of that documentary. To see that um, is over the top. It, it's 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 it doesn't seem humanly possible that we would yeah. do that uh, to a young boy. And claim mm-hmm. our system is the best in the world. It's just yeah. it's hypocritical. It's it's just a it's it's not true. Uh and yeah. and if anybody's proof of that, uh Brendan is. There was something uh uh Tracy that you wanted to read uh from Brendan. Yeah, so Brendan um wanted to share a little message to everyone. Um, you know, particularly we the, the community behind Brendan Dassey is full of amazing, incredibly generous and kind people. He has brought together, you know, exceptional people from all over the world to fight for him. Uh, and he's very thankful for that. And a message Brendan wanted to share with everyone listening is, please tell everyone on the radio station that I love them 
and that I am very thankful and grateful for everyone who is supporting and fighting for me and for my family for all these years. Thank you. And that's Brendan. That's wow. Brendan. Hey, has there been any national media attention like a CNN or MSNBC? Has any of them, I've, I've read reports where they reported on the court's ruling, but they haven't really gotten mm -hmm. involved uh, to uh, actually report that this was an outrage and with in no, no opinion or nothing. You haven't seen anything along those lines? Not recently. Around the time of uh, the writ of certiorari that was sitting with the United States Supreme Court, there was a lot of media. Um, you know, with the you had the time, the New York Times, you had the Washington Post. Um, everybody was talking and and addressing the factors at, at the you know the centre of Brendan's wrongful conviction, and it was positive. It was positive. Uh, it all spoke to you know, in support of Brandon. I think, you know, things have quietened down on that front insofar as once the clemency petition was filed, which had, you know, great fanfare, there was a lot of support, incredible support behind that clemency petition um, in the October of 2019. And with that came a lot of, you know, interest from the media. Um, myself, uh, supported and funded by a lot of incredible people. We launched a, a billboard campaign across Wisconsin from the September through to the end of uh, December. And that, we, you know, we got some media attention, some national media attention. It was syndicated, an article and all those types of things. So that was great. Um, but coming up, we are about to unleash ourselves on Wisconsin once again because we can't stop saying Brendan Bassey's saying, right? We can't stop talking about it because there are, for every, for every wrongfully convicted person that we're aware of, there are potentially hundreds of thousands that we're not. So the ones that we're aware of, I think we have a duty to do as much as we possibly can as free people to see justice served and to see justice served for Brendan in this case. So uh, as of next week in Wisconsin, there's another billboard campaign. There's a lot of, a lot of initiatives um, planned. We, we are doing a, uh, an error flyover. <laughs> um, everything yes. is, is targeted at the governor, of course. Um, you know, we are extremely disappointed in his apathy towards, you know, a special ed student who has been wrongfully convicted. He didn't even review the petition. That's how much Brendan's life means to certain people, right? That he didn't this? even review the petition. Is that the so governor you're talking he's made, about? Yeah, yeah. So he's got this arbitrary criteria that, that denies Brendan clemency. Well, but this arbitrary criteria is in light of not even having reviewed the petition. It's, um, you know, it's certainly not in the spirit of what clemency and mercy is about, you know. Well, the um, governor it's has, an exceptional. And Tracy, the governor has the power to grant yes, him clemency. He has the sole power to do it. He doesn't He's need to defer to the legislator. Um, 
you know, he, he, he has a pardons advisory board. He convened a pardons advisory board, but they only make recommendations. It's an executive power that sits with the governor alone. So right. he could decide today to release Brendan Dassey. He could commute his sentence or he could um, grant him a pardon. How many, he could do that today. And Tracy, how many people are, are calling the governor's office daily in a mass campaign to do something? Has that happened? Well, I, yeah, yeah we, we kind of do everything we can. Um, okay. As I said, you, you know, you're talking about a community of people that are extremely passionate about this and, and are moved by their outrage and sadness in equal measure. So um, we have email zaps, we have phone zaps. Um, we do them all the time. You know, um, the emails app, for example, is up around 500 people sending an email on the same day at the same time with the same message. And, you know, it's relentless and we will continue to be relentless because I think if we want to see the change, if we want to be part of the change that we want to see in the system, then we need to be this active. Um, you know, if, if, if justice can't be sought within the confines of the system as it is, which is designed to incarcerate and maintain convictions, then the people must bring pressures from outside of the system to affect the change they want to see. No, absolutely and right. that's what we need to do to get Brenda Dassey home. Well, Tracy, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a quick break. I want to come back and I want you to give you, you know, I want you to give us information to our listeners I'm going to be respectful of your time. You've been great with us tonight. I don't want to hold you too long because uh, I believe we're going to be talking even more uh, about this story. And uh, please let Brendan know uh, that a just cause yeah. is going to get behind the fight. We're going to get in the fight uh, and do what we, whatever we can on iron as an advocacy organization to yeah. contact the governor of Wisconsin and say, look, what are you going to do here? Uh, you can't have too many people crying out, making calls, and calling for justice for this young man, uh, especially if it's yeah. a – I don't know if it's an election year for this governor, is it? Yes, he's just, he's just announced that he's running for re-election. Okay. So if he's running for re-election, he would have reason to take action for this young boy, and that's what we need to look into. Yes. Okay, yes. so we're going to come right uh, – he ran Go ahead. the first time on criminal justice reform and has done nothing. Oh, he did. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. We're going to work together, yeah. me and you, uh, and the other millions of people that are uh, getting behind Brendan. We're going to get behind in this fight with you, okay? Um, again, I'm going to be respectful of your time, not holding you too long. We're going to come back at your closing remarks uh, and cannot thank you enough for coming on this show tonight. Again, we're going to be covering this uh, topic here over the next three weeks. Um, so let's take a quick break. Come back. Um, are you able to stay with us, or, or are we okay in letting you go? I want, I want to do whatever works for you. I will I will give all the time that I have to talk about Brendan Dassey, so I am absolutely fine to keep talking. Okay. Well, then we're going to change the order of things. We're not going to come back with closing remarks. We're going to come back, and we're going to continue to talk about Brendan Dassey tonight. And we're going to just take you all the way to the end of the show in another 35 minutes or so. And uh, I was asking our folks, what time is it in Australia? It's about 1130 there, a.m.? 
That's right. Yeah, 11.30 a.m. Okay. on a Friday morning. All right. As long as you're not up at midnight, 1, 2 in the morning, then we're going to respect that. <laughs> and uh, we're going to come back and finish this conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to dial in tonight, 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. Brandon Dassey, a victim, unfortunately, in a system that has gone awry, and we're going to deal with that, coming back with Tracy Keogh and the AJC radio team. Folks, this is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught. And they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, We have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we We have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have you, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life based on what happened that night? That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up when you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses, and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity. There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Coke Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're we're wasting too much genius in America, and it's time to do something. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University's 
School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything. His family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they've suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. 
Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to innocenceproject.org to find out how you can help. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252. Or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. As we have been troubled, we have been challenged to get involved with the innocent. Tonight, namely, Brendan Ray Dassey of Wisconsin that has been wrongfully convicted, has been in prison for 13 years. And I'll tell you right now, the story is heart-wrenching. Uh, we've been joined tonight by Tracy Keogh. She is writer for World Vision Australia and a creative activist and marketer for Brendan Dassey. Um, I had the opportunity tonight, and to all of the followers and supporters of Clyde Beasley, uh, I just had an opportunity to speak with him moments ago, uh, who's going to be on our show next week. Uh, and Tracy, he is moved with sincere compassion uh, for Brendan Dassey. Uh, he said to me that he had no idea that this was the kid uh, that has suffered this type of injustice. Uh, he's going to be our featured guest next week, but he wanted me to pass mm-hmm. on to to you. Uh, he's in support of Mr. Dassey, uh, and he, his thoughts and prayers are with you and all those that are fighting for Brendan. Uh, so I wanted to pass that on to you and to all of his followers. Uh, please tune in next week. Uh, he will be our featured guest. Uh, but he wanted to share that, Tracy. Um, I, like you said, this this apparently has become a movement uh, that people are definitely intrigued to, to talk about. Yeah, and thank you, and uh, you know, to to all of you, and, and welcome to the fight for Brendan. You know, no, absolutely. Uh, it, it it is it is one of those cases that once you bear witness to what has happened, you don't walk past. You can't leave it. You know, justice needs to be served, and you know everybody. Everybody is welcome in that fight. Absolutely, and and he 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 really uh, offered him to come on on and to speak to you. And he said, I don't want to take away from her story tonight. Um, and so I unselfishly uh, said, let this story be told because he's he said he is intrigued uh, with the dialogue, with the conversation. 
uh, that we're having tonight. He said he's writing everything down. So, uh, Mr. Beasley, thank you so much uh, if you're still listening to the show. Uh, and we'll be thank very you. happy to have uh, Mr. Beasley on next week. But getting back uh, now, um, uh, Tracy, to Brendan. Um, a lot of supporters, a lot of people out there. Um, we are going to, as a just cause, um, find out if this is an election for Mr. Uh, for this governor in Wisconsin. It's an election time for him. Uh, and we're going to call him out on this failure to act initiative. Yeah. How don't you act in response to this type <clears throat> of injustice? How do you do it? Yeah. And yet you want to come back to office and tell us, oh, we're going to do uh, criminal justice reform, but you leave a kid who is a grown man now but has suffered what Mr. Dassey has suffered, and you want us to go to the voting booth and vote you back in? Yeah. We need, we need, we're going to reach out to the people in Wisconsin. Don't vote for him. Well, you know there's very little altruism in politics. Uh, we've yeah. witnessed it through our wrongful conviction. Um, if, by and large, if politicians can't receive a political advantage, they're not interested mm-hmm. in doing any, anything for people, uh, maybe unless it's a member of their family. But that's just a sad commentary given uh, the high praise and the constant uh, commentary you hear on the news about the greatness of the United States criminal justice system and things of that nature. But in the, in the case of the IRP-5, there were over 70 trips 70 plus trips made to Washington DC to talk to congressmen. They couldn't believe mm-hmm. that uh, the wrongful conviction and some of the things that the judge and the prosecutor actually happened. But at the end of the day, uh, they didn't do anything about it. Yet uh, yeah. you see them holding hearings on President Trump, potential Russian collusion. They do all sorts of stuff when it's politically advantageous to do so. And that's the sad reality of and the farce uh, of American politics. And as a result, people like Brendan Dassey uh, suffer, uh, the courts as well. It seems like we're just dealing with a, sadly, in the court system, and I said, I don't want to paint everybody with a broad brush, but uh, the results and the outcomes in a lot of cases in in the court system is mired in politics, cronyism, and and just blatant unfairness. Yeah, oh, that's and particularly right. the thing with the sorry to cut you off there. The, no, go ahead, the Tracy. Thing with Governor Evers is, you know, on paper he seems to be the right type of governor who would take on something like. Brendan Dassey's case. You know, he's been involved in, in education. He calls himself the, you know, the education governor. And for me, when I think about his re-election, what worries me intensely is that if we go back before Governor Evers, the governor was a gentleman called, well, I don't know if he was a gentleman, to be honest, but he was called, uh, went by the name of Scott Walker. And for eight mm-hmm. years, Scott Walker... You know, he was tough on crime. He ran on that. He refused to to instate uh, a pardons board, and he refused to even consider clemency or pardons. 
So he did nothing for that in those eight mm. years. Now, I've, I take an active interest in the politics of Wisconsin, particularly anything to do with, like at the moment, there's an expungement bill that they're trying to pass through the Senate, which effectively has the same outcomes as 99% of the pardons that Governor Evers grants. So I find that of interest to watch to see what's happening with that, but also to see the people that will be running for governor. And from what I've seen so far is we're looking at a lot of people who would align themselves with Scott Walker's mentality of the tough on crime, not looking at criminal justice reform at all. So we're, we're in a, we're in a, between a rock and a hard place, so to speak, I think. We, sure. we need to bring the governor around. I think, you know, he is our best, our best hope of clemency. And it's and very much, I, I know that, you know, a lot of governors are politically timid when it comes to clemency. Of course, you know, there's, um, you know, there's a, they, they're, they're playing politics. But the one thing, the one thing with clemency is it needs no bipartisan support. It needs nothing from anyone else. It sits with this governor alone. So it's about getting this governor to be aware of Brendan Dassey's case on a level that he can read through the facts of the case, that he reviews that clemency petition. And he, like everybody else, who comes across Brendan Dassey's case will come away and say there is an innocent young man serving time in a Wisconsin prison. No, absolutely right. And and again, uh, uh, it, it's not going to hurt for us as an organization to get involved, make phone calls, oh, no. send emails. Welcome it. And, and I tell you what, we're going to do it. Clint, you had something to add to this story. Uh, I didn't want to uh, bypass you. Go ahead. Yeah, it's just... Uh... Just really interesting to see an Australian national fighting the fight for a Wisconsin citizen, an American citizen, uh, and it really, you know, is a reflection on the American people. Uh, where's the uh, American citizen fighting this battle? Um, you know, we, we have a, a, a and and you know, God bless you, Tracy. We certainly appreciate it, but. Uh, I wanted to say that the National Institute of Health had done a study back in 2017 and showed that there are now 10 times more individuals with serious mental illnesses in prisons and jails than there are in state mental hospitals. Sure. I mean, it really is a shame. The United States, when we look in the mirror, what, what do we do? We, 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 we put the mentally ill people in prison, incarcerate them. We shut down all the state hospitals. And then just send them to jail. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, this is something I could really get passionate about. And I believe the underlying uh, issue uh, goes back to money. How much, how much uh, is, is the funding? How much is the budget on each one of those heads that are incarcerated? You know, for, for, it's a money issue. The underlying issue is money and power. I remember being in prison and my cellmate, used to work at the uh, Supermax, and he approached his boss. He had a pretty good boss to work for. He worked in the library, and he said, why haven't you guys let out the First Step Act uh, inmates that are eligible? He said, well, if we let them all out, what are we going to do for jobs? That was, his, that was his response, and it was about the budget. If you let these people out, we're going to lose budget, and then we're going to lose job slots 
it's going to be uh, not. And, and what about my job? If all these people get out that are that are innocent and that should be out. Well, um, I believe the human element has left the building. Yes. Uh, that's left a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Right. That Tracy. train. That train left the station. Um, because when I you, mean, it's a tough, it's a profit profit um, yes. uh, exercise. I think in Wisconsin it costs like thirty three thousand dollars per per person incarcerated per year. So if you look at Brendan Dassey as an example, you've got fifteen plus years, and sadly counting at this stage, that's a lot of money out of the taxpayers' uh, back pocket for an innocent man. And God knows, I'm sure he's not the only innocent man in Wisconsin. No, he's not. And I am familiar with Governor Walker um, doing his uh, his time as governor of Wisconsin. Uh, he was known for um, standing against, the, I believe it was the teachers union uh, for teachers mm-hmm. out there. Um, and so that's how I learned a little bit uh, about Mr. Walker. Um, and it, I, again, I don't why you, you made the point earlier as far as folks being timid in granting clemency. That's the power that's been get you know a sad part about clemency? You know someone has been done wrong in the system. That's why clemency is in place. That we ask the that's governor fine. to so you know we have an issue. You know there are innocent people in prison. Uh to the statistics that uh Clint just read regarding the mental health. Um, those that have been, and then you have stories of those that have been abused, the mentally ill in prisons that have been taken a step further to be abused and harassed and bullied by correctional officers. This is, this is inhumane. And that's what it actually comes down to. So, uh, Tracy, again, um, we're, we're, our back is against the wall here on this particular uh, show. Uh, we're going to be. I'm going to extend an invitation to you uh, anytime in the next three weeks uh, to come on. Mm-hmm. You're welcome to do that as you have time to call in. Please feel free to do that. I'm going to be in touch with you as well uh, offline Thank you. Uh, as we go forward uh, in fighting for Brendan. Please tell him uh, that a just cause AJC Radio. Our thoughts and prayers are with him as we seek to fight yeah. justice and find justice uh, for him. Uh, you know, in this during this very difficult time, but that we are we are on board for this fight, okay? And uh, I appreciate I'm you. I'm sure that will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the system makes promises, right? But it's humans who break them, and that's, that's right. it's never been truer than what has happened to Brendan Dassey in in his experience with the criminal justice system. It's un it's unbelievable. It's one of the most uh, difficult stories I've ever had to look into. I am going to uh, familiarize myself, and I, I'd recommend our host do it as well. Uh, when we talk to you again, The Making of a Murderer, uh, we're going to watch that and uh, dissect that. So when we come back, boy, we're going to have a lot to talk about. This is some serious yeah. stuff. It had an impact on our co-host, Dennis, uh, to the point he couldn't even believe, Dennis, that after seeing that, how is he still in prison? It was that it was that mm-hmm. profound to you. Yes, and when everybody's, I'm telling you, when when when, when the hosts, the remaining hosts that have not yet seen it, when they watch it, it is heart wrenching. 
It is, it is, it, yeah. you look at this show and you're like, I mean, even with his uncle, I mean, it is, it'll make you go, wow. And they actually got away with put those two, those two people in prison for life. It's just out of well, control. Well, we're going to fight, uh, and we're going to get in the fight. And uh, any closing statements, um, Tracy, you'd like to tell our listeners what they can do to, to, to join in this fight? Any information you'd like to give out, feel free to do so now. Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's important that people who are behind Brendan, people who want to get behind Brendan, that they know that there are options for Brendan. So this is not hopeless, right? There's a lot of hope here. Brendan can file a post-conviction motion back in state court using newly discovered evidence, perhaps an ineffective assistance claim, and he can petition for clemency again. Uh, And one thing I do know is that he has fierce and formidable legal representation, Lauren Ryder, Stephen Drizzen, and the incredible people they bring together to fight for him. They, you know, they have a team working to investigate the case and uncover new findings as we speak. So there is a lot of hope. And I think for if people want to help Brendan, they want to get involved, get educated on the legal system, you know, um, write to Brendan. This is our first port of call, right? Write to Brendan. Let him know that you're here and that you're fighting for him. Keep saying his name. Keep sharing his story. And, you know, as long as we... We keep his profile going and, you know, and and having said that, every month I watch through um, Facebook groups that I'm involved in and other social media platforms that there is a, a wave of people that comes in nearly every single month who have discovered making a murder or have discovered Brendan's story and they're like, what can I do? What can I do to help? First thing you can do is you can write to Brendan. Let him know that you're you're fighting for him. Thank you so very much for that. And uh, I'm going to uh, follow you on Facebook as well. Uh, and we're going to go forward and, and fight for uh, this is a cause and it's a just cause uh, that it we need to get involved. Is, and welcome to it. Yeah. Thank you so very much, Tracy. Uh, and taking Thank time you today. Having- You're welcome. You're welcome. And again, the door's always open here for you to be on this show. So uh, let, let's get in the fight and let's see what we can get done. For Brendan, and again, we're going to write him um, uh, and get the information. Where do we write all of that good stuff? Um, yeah. uh, did you want to share that with our listeners, where to write to Brendan App? Yeah, sure. They can find all of the contact details to write to Brendan on um, my website, which is okay. freedomforbrendandassey.com. If you just go to the contact section, you'll find all of the different outreach um, initiatives, how to sign up to the email app, how to write to Brendan, all of the details there. If you want to contribute to his commissary, if you want to contribute or get involved with his um, legal team, it's all there. It's all there. And, um, yeah, like, let's, let's do this, you know, let's do this. No, absolutely. Tracy, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, again, it's evening here, but daytime there, so enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, our thoughts and yeah. prayers are with you and all those that are fighting for Brendan, and we appreciate you. Uh, and, again, we'll be in touch offline, and, and let's work together, to hopefully, to get this done. Fantastic. And uh, thank you for doing the good work, and let's make some good trouble. 
Absolutely right. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of your day, okay? You too. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right. There you have it, folks. Tracy Keogh, an advocate in Australia, as Clint alluded to, um, fiercely fighting for Brendan Dassey. We're coming back with our closing remarks on this show. Wrongful convictions at an all-time high and a society and a system that simply does not care. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. I'll be honest. Your resume. I don't want to miss you. I know. Okay, so what would you bring to my company? What do you need? I need a hard worker. Good. I've got two part-time jobs and I help my parents pay the bills. I need problem-solving skills. I got through high school without a car, a phone, or a computer. No college degree, though. Not yet, but life's taught me a lot and I'm ready for more. Well, you're not the typical kind of candidate that I hire. But you are exactly what I'm looking for. Your company could be missing out on the candidates it needs most. Learn how to find, cultivate, and train a great pool of untapped talent at gradsoflife.org. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we have been honored and truly uh, benefited, if you will, from our guest, Tracy Keogh, writer for World Vision Australia and a creative activist and marketer for Brendan Dassey, the gentleman, young boy, locked up at the age of 16 uh, for a crime he didn't commit, mentally challenged. Uh, and the mentally ill who suffer behind the walls of prisons all across this country. But in this case, what makes it more troubling, that this was a kid with the mental capacity of a 5 to 11-year-old kid. They interrogated this young boy, uh, asking questions every nine seconds. Uh, not the capacity to even understand what was going on, nor did he have the capacity to commit the crime that they have wrongfully convicted this young boy of, to the point where a magistrate judge came back, made the statement that uh, this kid was coerced by officers, that he, uh, uh, his constitutional rights under the law were violated, Um absolutely horrific. I would recommend, ladies and gentlemen, that you go watch the Netflix documentary series, Making a Murderer. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to be having talks with Tracy uh, in the near future as this series continues. Uh, and to all of the followers for Clyde Beasley, uh, a guest who deferred to finish our story with Tracy tonight. Uh, he is founder and director of the Prison Reform Project. Uh, and jobs for ex-felons. He's going to be joining us next week. 
to all of his listeners and all those that tuned in. I'll tell you right now, talking to Mr. Beasley, he was very troubled uh, with what he heard about this young man and the fate that befell him. Uh, he's going to be talking about that next week as well on the show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, tune into the show. Tell your friends, tell your family. Well, you do understand that most folks uh, do tune in uh, to us via online. Uh, feel free to pass that message on. Uh, if you'd like to call in anytime during the show, that number is 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. I would also recommend that folks would contact the governor of Wisconsin uh, and call, email, hit their social media pages up, and cry out for the release of Brandon Bassett. That's what we need to do. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you what, uh, this has been a, again, as, as, as Dennis alluded to, I alluded to, and others here, a heart-wrenching show. Uh, about this young man, and he sent—he actually sent uh, a message of love to all those that were tuning in to the show tonight in the midst of his situation. Uh, that speaks volumes about the character of Mr. Dassey. We're going to do our best to fight for him uh, and do what we can to find justice. Um, Samson, your closing remarks on this show. Yeah, I mean... I'm glad we're doing multiple shows on this one because the fact of the matter is, is like, like we said at the beginning of the show, we'd rather have thousands of guilty men go free than one person that is innocent be behind bars. And the fact of the matter is that someone with such a heart and such limited capacity, you know, as Mr. Dassey has spent so long behind bars, is an absolute travesty. I look forward to, you know, um, helping cry out against this and for him and all the others that are, that are locked up behind bars, you know, wrongfully you know to to get the message out there and to and to move people that are in charge to take the actions that are at their disposal this governor has clemency in his hands we as a as the populace have to use our voice for those that can't you know speak for themselves and, and good point made ladies and gentlemen so next time this is ajc radio signing off tonight be safe and continue our ways to fight for justice this is ajc radio until next time tonight.